This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,579, recorded September 18th, 2000. Written something especially for you tonight. But whilst driving over here, I was thinking about what I wrote for the Daily News feature on the webpage today. And I would like to say something to you people about that, because I did not go into... I cut myself off writing for the public. I hinted or intended to hint more than I said. And what I would like to say, I wouldn't even try with ordinary people. And so I'm going to put it on you. By the way, do you find this interesting? That is informative. Uh, it's not the first time, but I recently received an email regarding the daily feature. An email quoted the first sentence or two of whatever I'd written and said, said, boy, can you be long-winded? And said, uh, and it quoted like I said, right off the bat, I read the first two sentences and I immediately got what you meant. And then they went on for another three or four lines, just, they attacked me rather harshly. The whole point being, you know, you, should, you could have shut up. I understood exactly what it was. I don't know why you felt the need to just, you just like to hear yourself talk. I caught exactly what you meant by the first sentence. You know, you're sincerely. Right, do you understand that they didn't? Now, I'm not going to tell you what it was. I don't even remember. But they didn't get what it was. They wouldn't have written me. Much less with criticism. Which is, of course, what I was talking about today, for those of you who read it. Because that's just a beautiful example. I don't know whether you see it, or the splendiferousness of what I was writing about today. I have still never felt satisfied that any of you fully comprehend the scope and the depth and the significance of what I was writing about, that is, that the majority the heart, but the majority of all human speech, written and otherwise, is taken up, is, is people engaged in criticism, complaining, and whining. Now, that's the kind of thing that I could say to an ordinary person. I'm sure there are plenty of people who read it today. And that was in the first three sentences. And I'm sure that plenty of them believed as soon as they read it. Well, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Now, what, what's the point? What's the point? <laughs> See, the reason I say I don't believe that any of you fully get it is no offense to you. If, there, if you do take offense, then we've got another problem. <laughs> and if I'm mistaken, it's on this basis. I'll tell you why I could be mistaken, is I'm basing it, as always, on myself. That I understood this 40 years ago. But my understanding of it ripened so much over that 40 years that, in essence, to me, I did not really understand it. I understood it 40 years ago when it hit me. Nobody told me, and I didn't read it anywhere, or if I did, I didn't pay attention. It hit me personally. And not just what I'm saying, that most of what goes on in my head, or what goes on first, if we want to go to the easy part to start with, that the majority... I'm always tempted to put numbers on it, but I'm saying majority underlined, and I leave it to you to consider, of everything that has ever been written down, from periodicals to the daily newspaper to classic literature to conversations between friends, strangers, family members, lovers, if it's put into words, which is simply a representation of the thoughts in people's head. I'm telling you that the majority, I challenge you to look and not just say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That it is absolutely criticism, complaining, and whining, which is really all the same thing, but I like the sound of it. It sounds like a law firm. <laughs> all right, sounds like my first three wives. Another joke.
anyone who would say that they understood that, yeah, 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 what's the point? See, they don't get the point. It's like the person, as I said, that emailed me and said, want to know why I was so long-winded when I explained and they understood in the first sentence of such and such day's writing exactly, totally what I meant. They got it immediately and then wasted their time reading another three or four minutes when it was already covered in that and that they got it. And why was I so dumb? How could I point out, point that out? Did that be the topic of the day? And then me not realize that all I was doing was being redundant, just repeating myself. But you understand what I said, that it doesn't matter what the subject is, it doesn't matter who the person was, and I'm not the point, you understand. But assuming that what I wrote, that I understood, and the sole purpose was to help someone interested, perhaps give them a nudge in some direction, that they might come to see things in a different light. That is, help awaken them. And that was the only reason. That not to glorify me, not to publicize me, that's the only reason I wrote whatever it was. And if they said, well, I got it, dice, and then they criticize me or the writing. Remember, I'm not the point. But you understand, if you criticize something after you said, or even the source of it, you didn't get it. But the point is, if you got a comment, you didn't get it. It gets a little dangerous for somebody to compliment me or the writing like that meant the world to me because it really, it opened my eyes. That, there can be more validity to that. But if you really comprehended what something was saying, I mean comprehended it, that almost shook your thinking to its foundations. Even if you wanted to compliment the person, even if you wanted to express your joy in having seen it, if you really understood it, down to that kind of radical level, you couldn't bring yourself to comment. You couldn't think of anything to say. You might think of, well, I'd like to write the guy and say thanks. But it would surely, if you really understood it, it would strike you as, I hate to put words on but just like, yeah. And that's too shitty for even me to do. And so there you sit. Wanting to thank somebody, whether they be alive or you might have read something that Buddha or somebody said thousands of years ago. And you read it and you think, good God. And it just stagger you. And you think, I wish I knew where he was buried. I wish there was really life after death or I could dig him up. I'd like to pat his bones or grab the little bony fingers of his hand, whatever is left, and shake it. But then if you really got something, if it really helped awaken you at all and increased your real understanding of what's going on, deep enough that's just a, it's a fleeting thing you're just left there's nothing to say there's nothing to say to Buddha to me to yourself there's nothing left to say when you see something in the sense that I mean it here and uh, I take it that all of you assume that I mean it that that is you actually saw through something you saw right to the bottom of it there's nothing to say to anybody but back to what I wanted to I couldn't resist, as a matter of fact, saying a few words about what I was writing about publicly, today's feature, to you guys. I say to you, you and everyone else, based upon myself, well, everyone else is based on more than that. I say that no one recognizes. It can be pointed out to people. If they would listen, I have no doubt that if I could entice somebody, like make a wager with them or... Anyway, if they just apparently were interested, I could certainly ask them, go grab a newspaper, grab a magazine, grab a book, turn on TV, turn on the news, turn on a soap opera, turn on a com, turn on anything. Bring me any example of people talking, and I'll tell you right now that 90% of it, at minimum, will be complaining, criticizing, and whining. And let's say that they, oh, let's say that they were interested enough, perhaps if I made it a wager. Anyway, if they were interested enough and they disagreed, you know, that's not true. They think about it, and I challenge them, we'll go get it. And if they went and got newspapers, magazines, works of literary art, etc., and I sat right there with them, and we started reading, within a few pages, within a few minutes, Assuming that they had an open mind, and I would point out sentence by sentence, take it that, at that level, sentence by sentence, I'd point out 
that the person who wrote this, get past the words right quick, listen to me, just look at it yourself. It's a criticism of life, of other people, even of themselves, if it's self-deprecating, all the way from self-deprecating humor to obvious criticism of themselves. Now, I say, if you don't see it that way, it's whining. And if you don't see it that way, they're complaining. But it's all the same thing. Within a few minutes, if I pointed out, I'm saying that their mind would surely see what it was and they'd get up and leave, figuratively speaking. They would shut it off. The mind will not comprehend it. Even if you can get someone for a moment to go, yeah, you're right. Not just theoretically, is what I'm saying, because you can get people to do that. To say, do you realize most of what people talk about is just them whining and complaining? You can get ordinary people under that condition going, yeah, you're probably right. But you know how that goes. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that they really agree or they understand it. But what I'm saying is, I've never done it, but I know it's true. That if I could get someone to sit there and let them furnish the examples, as I said, all the way from ephemeral periodic periodicals to recordings of conversations, the programs on television or the movies, and just within minutes, if I started sentence by sentence pointing out and you know, challenging them, say, how can you tell me that this, let's read the next sentence, that that is not a complaint, or that that's not a criticism, that that's not just somebody whining even though it appears to be a joke, even though you first read it and you laughed. I understood. Now, I could tell them, I say, I understand the, the intended humor, but do you understand they're whining? you got to admit it. Within a few minutes, their mind would just shut off. The mind, which is the source of all criticism, your body is not the source of criticism. Our instinctive self, I don't have to say this, and this is shocking, or it will be if you ever see it head on. I'm sure right now you'll sit there and agree that you understand it. But instinctively, we have no criticism of life. The body has no criticism of life. And don't fall for you thinking, well, if I cut my foot and, I, and it hurts, my body's criticizing life. Come on. We have no instinctive criticism of life. I can't comprehend. I don't know how to make, whether you can see it this way, but I was going to say it's incomprehensible to me. And I don't mean me. Again, it's not the point. I'm saying I can't believe that you can't look and find it incomprehensible, the notion that instinctively any creature would have a criticism of life. It's, well... How about this? If this helps, I was going, I'm just going to put it to you point blank and say, can, how, how is it conceivable? What kind of process of thought makes it conceivable that life would produce creatures that would criticize it? And if that sounds too vague, how about back to the good old kindergarten, uh, more childish version of the idea of gods? Now, every, every religion, of course, has a god as some supreme being, a creator. And no one ever notices this. And this is not an attack on religions, you know. I'm pointing out something about the mind. All of the religions, I guess Christianity is Judaism, the most commonly known to you people. It's all the same thing in this sense. But the whole point is that God, Jehovah, created man. You know, for some kind of reason. Entertain him to show off to... a I think one of the stories is to sing his praises so that his magnificence will be glorified in another creature that he made us so that we could then turn around and look at him and go, what a guy, you know, and pay him tribute. But also notice the whole point of religion, if that was the, all there was, we wouldn't have religion. Religion's not in charge of praising God. Religion's in charge of humans who make a living off of it. Anyway, it's us trying to make up to God. But the question I was going to present to you, remember, this is not an attack on religion. They're all the same in this regard. No one's mind in there ever faces up to the fact that, yes, we accept this idea. Well, they call it theological truth or what. Anyway, that we accept this thought that God, the all-perfect, the almighty, but the all-knowing, the all-perfect, he created us. 
and yet somehow made a just a small foul up that he intended us to be a certain way and we're not actually that way sometimes or a lot of the times. How could the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-perfect creator create something that was imperfect? I'm not saying, of course, that we're imperfect. But our minds say that we are individually. And then collectively, we have the institution such as religion to back it up. How can this be? And of course it can't be. But at the crudest level, it makes no sense whatsoever. If that was applied to something else, I'm not even going to try to make it up in detail, but if that was applied in some way to a, a manufacturer, you know, like a General Motors or some company XYZ makes this and this product, and their story is this product is guaranteed, it is perfection, we've worked on it for years and years, and when it comes to making these kinds of widgets, the XYZ company, us, we guarantee it. Our whole reputation is on the line. It's, in fact, it is, we don't even bother to guarantee it. It is a, an obvious fait accompli that these widgets are perfection themselves. If it was something like that, any, any human on this planet would not believe that. Would call it into question as soon as they heard it. No company can make, that I go into enough detail, the XYZ company says, everyone, we make a million a year. Each and every one is perfect. There is not one flaw in any of the widgets we make. Not one, not the slightest flaw, they're all perfect. And we have the detailed plans that you're welcome to, and you will see. You can measure it by our own plans. They're absolutely perfect. No human on this planet, with good sense, of course, would fail to call into the question as soon as they heard it. Am I not correct? In other words, nobody in their right mind would believe such a claim. There is something in the mind that just says it's not possible. And yet when it comes to another matter that's represented by religion, but instead of... This is another case, but instead of God, of course, I'd put it life. To me, it's inconceivable. And again, I repeat, I don't mean me. I'm saying I don't understand how anybody, any of you people, but anybody that had any intelligence does not find the whole idea staggering that life would produce something that had a need to be critical of itself. Or to be critical. Why would life produce something? Talk about an unthankful child. The stories about people regretting that they had a little, some kid that grew up to just be the bane of their existence, that ruined their lives, that were a plague upon the family. Of course, they didn't know it. And when he popped out, he looked fine. But life knows better. Do you see what I'm saying? When I say that I find it inconceivable, what I'm trying to get you to do is to look at it in a certain way and ponder, and it will hit you. And I can't put it much better. I'm going to try. But it is inconceivable that life would produce something that was critical. Well, do I have to add the rest? You know, critical of it, of what goes on in life. But see, it's even, to me, more expansive than the idea that I assume you put together when I was using religion as a cruder example, is to say, why in the world? How can people believe that there is an almighty, all-perfect God or creator, and he made us? And he made us. He made us from top to bottom. He didn't outsource part of it. He didn't use some kind of other market materials. It was not that he was simply in charge of assembly. He made all the parts from the quark level up, put us all together, and then put us here on the planet 
and then looked down and went, God damn, what a mess you people are. If nothing else on the basis that he made us all and went, how do you like it? The Garden of Eden? We've had nothing to compare it to. But anyway, here it is, paradise. Everything furnished, just everything. And what happened? The first thing he started doing was complaining. How can that be? Why? Do I have to put it that way? Why? What would possess a God, an all-knowing creator, to create somebody that's then going to criticize and went, you know, I've seen better gardens than this. And these pomegranates are not, this tastes like some of those hothouse. I've, I've had a lot better. You can imagine. Or can't you? When I say, why? To me, it's a lot more subtle and informative to consider how, why. Of course, what I'm insinuating is I can see it. I can't explain it, but it's not possible that life would have created something that was critical of what was going on in life. I won't beat that one any more other than to say I can see it in a way that is a mathematical certainty. It's the best allegory I can come up with. That it is not possible, literally, not what has to tell you, that life itself couldn't do it. I can't guarantee that, of course. But it's awfully close to me. I can see it so clearly that life could not, could not, not just would not, but could not produce something that would then be critical of it. Does anybody get it? It's not possible. It, it's just not possible. So what I say is that the mind is the source of all criticism, our thoughts. The only criticism, the only complaint, the only whining that goes on comes from thought. And of course, thought comes from our instinctive self and from the body and etc. But were it not for thought, I say that you would have no criticism. It would not be possible. And I say that instinctively, still we have no criticism. We just, we don't. It's not, at the very least, it is a foreign language. It is a foreign experience. The criticism of life is so endemic to the mind that regardless of you saying you or someone else is saying, yeah, well, I, we've been over this, or I know that, I say that you don't. I say that you do not know it fully. How about this? I'll say that I could know it better because I can still catch myself in my mind entertaining the complaints and not catching them. With them going on and on and me bitching and whining, just criticism. And if I was a little stupider than I am by nature and somebody jumped in my mind, you know, Buddha mind or somebody jumped in my mind like I talk about jumping in other people's mind, and went, aha, look what you're doing. If I was really stupid, I could defend it. I could go, well, if you realize, I wasn't just picking on people. I wasn't just criticizing people on the basis that it made me look better. I was just commenting, really, to myself on the sleeping, the low level of consciousness of humanity. It was just, it was an objective observation about how enlightened, how unenlightened, how prejudicial is the thinking of ordinary people? How parochial? Maybe I shouldn't, but that, I was the basis of it. And of course, if it was my kind of Buddha, he would slap the piss out of me. It is quite simply, and I did throw this out to the public in the, that writing today, that it's, it's simple. If you're critical, you're asleep. If you're criticizing something, if you're complaining about something, at that moment, you're asleep. And you can't just leave it. I suggest you don't try and just leave it like, well, yeah, at that moment I am. If you're still doing it, <clears throat> then you've got more than momentary problems of being asleep. That is, it's more widespread than the moment. And the truth is, again, I say that the mind would look at yourself. Just what naturally goes on. And also, if I need to say it, don't get misled by believing that you are in some way 
given to criticism. You know, because, of course, the way your mother raised you, and those other unfortunate incidents in your life. <clears throat> Again, is why I started out looking outward from us, from yourself, I know I've encouraged people to do this years and years ago, but again, you get used to it. It is part of our mental environment. All you have to do is open up your ears. If you just stand away from the noise inside yourself, that kind of criticism, just turn on TV, a movie, go in a grocery store, pick up the newspaper, and I'm telling you, 90%, well, again, I hate to put figures, look and see, I'm telling you that there is hardly a sentence spoken or written on this planet that is not some sort of critical remark. And again, well, I see at least you people here in person, some of your attention seems to be perking up. You know damn well that when I said this, when I started tonight, that something in you went, well, yeah, yeah, yeah there's no doubt about that. We're just a bag of negativity. Uh, it's a lot wider than that. I still find it almost amazing, figuratively speaking, of course, I don't find it amazing, but figuratively speaking, I am still puzzled by the fact of how many efforts, and I've added to it, of course, to, to the menu, but how many different attempted methods people have come up with to attempt to stay alert, to try and make the dog of the mind sit down, to make thoughts become stable. Because I know that that, no one would ever thought of doing that or even describing it had they not had that anomalistic experience known as being enlightened or I woke up. And of course, those who've had the experience sufficiently, you know saying that the mind stops doesn't cover it. It's not that thought stops. That doesn't cover it. It's something that I've given it a good shot before, whether you remember. But there's no way to absolutely define it, to describe it, because you're using moving thoughts, ordinary thought at the time, even if you know what you're talking about. You have sullied it by putting into words. You have debased it. I don't mean that sound that bad. Uh, you've diffused it. You've watered it down. But it had to be, whoever came up with the idea that, that the point of all this is to stabilize or to stop salt. And of course, that's the easiest way to say it, is if I could just stop salt. You can fall into the, the fancier descriptions, the more lengthy telling of it, such as I am trying to, through certain concentrated efforts, that I will try over a long period of time, through either struggling against it or not struggling against it, that finally this constant, the waves on the lake of the mind will finally still themselves and it will become a flat reflecting pool so that I do not comment, that my mind is not yammering all the time about life. It will be as though, it will be as a still placid lake that only reflects reality. But what they're still saying is, and the easiest way to say it is to stop thought. I, where I've started to say, what I still find curious is that once that was established, once Adam, whoever the first guy who had the experience, first guy who ever woke up, whoever achieved enlightenment, whoever experienced the great liberation, and he tried to talk about it to himself first, like what the hell happened, how can I get it back, what was it? And obviously, his description to himself was that constructively, more or less, my mind stopped. Compared to what is normally going on in my head, it stopped. It didn't literally. It did not completely stop. And this is where it really breaks down. As some of you should appreciate me attempting to describe it. It's not that it doesn't stop or does stop. It's that something else happens. But the, even the something else does not entail an absolute stoppage of thought. Comes close in a sense. But it doesn't. But at any rate, after Adam came up with a description to himself, or when he tried to describe somebody else, he went, well, what's it like? 
and to me it's obvious, I don't know how you can question it, that finally, after he talked to a few people, maybe it passed down a generation or so, it just narrowed itself down to, it's the attempt to bring the mind under control, to stop thought, where it's under your direction. You think if you want to, or you don't think, but you stop this mechanical flow of that meaningless chatter. Okay. Every time you remember that that's your aim, then at that second, it stops. Of course, again, I point out, I don't think over a handful of people have ever even caught on to what, you know, that should have made you wake up 20 times over. But there's the subtlety of the mind is, well, I can stop the chatter if I remember that I want to stop it. And, you know, if I look at it and say, you know, watch it. But nobody goes, wait a minute, isn't that curious? Every time I look at it, it stops. Well, perhaps I find things more curiouser than you do. But at any rate, once that became the accepted aim, then the problem was how to remember to do it. And from that grew all the things of trying to remember the name of God, the name of Buddha, a mantra, trying to picture something, trying to picture the blood of Jesus on his wrist, trying to picture a flame amongst the Zarathustrians. People still look for it. And as I said, I've added little things. You know, I call them tricks. Like, we'll try and just keep this in mind for the next day or so. And the whole thing is to remind you that if you are not doing something extraordinary, doing something that's unnecessary, then your consciousness, your sense of you, your understanding of life is absolutely in the hands of this mechanical flow going through you of these thoughts, these criticisms of life that are not yours anyway. So, the world, in fact, plenty of these would-be mystical systems have strenuous arguments over who has the right way. Should you be self-remembering or should you be trying to be mindful? Is the exact same thing? No. Now, if it's the same thing, then we wouldn't call it self-remembering. We'd call it being mindful. You don't have the right idea. You're not orthodox. Instead of arguing all of, of, all of that, what I found curious, I'm finally getting to, is simply... There is no better method than this. No better attempt on how to stay alert. And that is, if you accepted this, if I said this is the method, if you're, if you're criticizing, you're asleep. So all you got to do is just listen. And if you're complaining, criticizing, or whining, if you need all three descriptions, if you're doing one of the three, you're asleep. It's that simple. Why doesn't that, why, why has that never been the method? It's the only necessary method. It's the most efficient method. Nothing else comes close. It's just to observe, well, all I've got to do is watch this. If I start complaining, I've gone to sleep. If I start criticizing anything, I've gone to sleep. And it's that simple. And so as soon as I see that, it'll wake me right back up. Or at least it'll shake me out of that sleep. I have diligently searched the voluminous mystical literature. No, I hadn't. Then it's not there. Don't you find that curious? Now, some of you see what I'm saying. It's not just a personal view of the matter. I'm saying that every known method, everything that's been attempted, has its own appeal at the time and place. And usually the appeal was on the basis that it was something that sounded new. But it's all the same thing. It's an attempt for the boy to stand in the yard and keep looking at the dog. And as long as he looks at the dog, the dog will sit there in the yard. But the boy gets distracted constantly. He can't look for the reason why. He just does. He looks away. Music. Here's a car going by. He looks up in the sky. He's bored. Of course, the real reason is that's the nature of the mind. But all these methods, like, well, I've got to remind myself to stand here and keep my eye on the dog. If I could eternally observe my mind, observe myself. I like the way they got into observe myself rather than observe my mind. Because if the way, if you get entangled up in, well, what you've got to do is observe yourself. If you can learn to observe yourself continually, then you will be awake or you will wake up. 
But if it's observe yourself, you understand, you've got an unfulfillable hobby. Because, and they can explain it, I know that they do. And like, well, you've got to start off, as they like to say, you've got to crawl before you can walk. You've got to learn the alphabet before you can write a great novel. So we start off and we observe how we stand, how we walk, how we move. Yeah, 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 well, that's fine. That should be good for what, a week? According to how sharp you are. No, even if it's not a week. How about ten years of faithfully observing? And they even say, I know that some of these outfits, they say, well, what you've got to do first is observe what's possible. And what's possible is your body. You've got to observe the way you stand around people. You've got to observe your facial expressions. You've got to observe your physical habits, like when you talk and waving your hands around. You've got to observe all of that. And once you have that down, then we'll move on to more complicated and exotic matters because then you'll be prepared to hear it. We can't go into it now. All right, what if you spent 10 years doing that? Somewhere after the 10 years, should a person not ask themselves, am I awake? Am I any more awake now that I have been observing my hand gestures and the way I stand, the way I walk for these 10 years? And the answer is no. And then why did they go, well, what is it? It sounded right. And they said, you must observe. And I went, yeah. And they said, yourself. And I went, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's, I got to study myself. How come even after 10 years of futile effort with no results for them to say, all right, it sounds right to study myself, but it must not be the body. And why didn't it strike everybody at least after 10 years, let's say? If not a week, after 10 years, they go, what I need to study is my thoughts. I need to turn my mind on itself. If I'm correct and you look, and you see anew, even if you think you know it. And you see that there is hardly a sentence that has ever been written or spoken, that's been recorded, that anybody said that was not, that will not fit in, without any great deal of trying, but will not fit in to either being a criticism, a complaint, or a whine. Then you're left with this. Then that must be, if I must use, pardon me, logic, then that must be the natural condition of the mind. That must be the way it's organized. Then to save you from pondering that, yes. <laughs> Just in case you thought, well, I'll think about that and see if I agree. Don't bother. <laughs> it's just there. The mind does that constantly. And I could go into the usefulness of it, but you ought to be able to put that together from all the other descriptions I've given. It's, it's tied in, as I've described before, that the mind sees things not as they are, but as they could be, which makes technology possible, which makes life survival easier day by day, almost in current times, makes it easier. It's the ability of the mind not to look. The stomach looks. The rest of the body looks at life as it is. People's stomachs has not changed. People's instinctive self has not changed. As far as I'm concerned, I don't see any reason to even... Sp it's the same as it's always been, a million years ago. Our instinctive self doesn't change. The mind continues to look at it life and see how things could be different. But now you understand a part of that. All you've got to do is just, once you see that, just take a small step sideways just for a little bit, and you understand that based on that, based on that reality, then what is a part of that phenomenon, and that is criticism. People just don't think about it that way. The mind is accustomed to operating this way, that it looks upon something, and one man's mind says, well, we'd be a lot better off here in this society if such and such were true. But you understand, that's a criticism. He's criticizing the way, whatever that particular area is, whatever the particular subject is, he is criticizing. Or he's saying we'd be a lot better off if the Whigs were in power, if we had a Whig president rather than a Tory president. All right, a Democrat instead of a Republican. Or we'd be a lot better off if the whole country was Catholic. If we could just take all the Protestants and the Jews and all these other 
crazy religions and just, if everybody would just agree, let's be Catholic. Or hell, Baptist. But if we could just all do that, then there wouldn't be all this fighting over religion. All right. I don't mean to over-dramatize it to where it sounds like sarcasm. From one quite real view, if we all were the same religion, not only in this country but everywhere, you would think it would be reasonable to assume that that would be some progress. There would be less friction, there would be less things for people to argue and fight about. So it would be life-enhancing. But you understand by pointing it out, it's a criticism that things are not right now. They could be better. This is not the way things should be, or this is not the way things could be. They would be improved if they were like such and such. Look and, look and listen. Look and listen and read and tell me that that does not make up the majority of what everyone says, thinks, and writes about. But what made it useful to me, and I suggest would make it useful to you, was when I saw it. And it drug out over a period of many decades as it deepened. Was there was a kind of passionate jolt when I saw it. Well, let me rearrange that sentence. The impact it had was based upon me recognizing that there was a passion that was without a reasonable connection to people's complaints and criticisms. That is, no one makes a, quote, objective criticism of life. There is a passion to it. And I don't mean it has to be that they raise their voice or wave their arms around or get threatening. But they would not, their mind would not cause them to express the passion, either in word, written word, or in speech. Were they not, was there not a certain passion? Which is why I throw in wine. I just like it. Because I just like it so much in me and other people. That the criticism, when it's really working right, when the little swinging machine is working just right, the criticism always has a whine to it. Except perhaps in real intellectually oriented, yellow circuit oriented people in R&D. But the rest of the time, it's always a whine. Nobody makes an objective statement. They can say they're going to, and they can pull out statistics, but it is not an objective, impassionate statement from anyone as to why this country would be better off if we would finally have a majority of Democrats in both houses and a Democrat in the White House. And I have here, if you'll bear with me, I have here uh, about 20 pages, I have these large charts up here, and I have the statistics to back up what I'm saying based upon past history, based upon experts, uh, prognostications as to the future. So if you'll listen to me, I think I can prove this in a coldly logical way. There is a whine to it. And I always found it useful. And plus, I could, the more I found it, the more I heard it out there, the more I heard it in me. Of course, it's when it gets to be useful because you're not going to stop other people from whining. But once you realize the whole world's whining, and of course, like the old joke goes, it's like, well, obviously the whole world's, but the original old joke was a guy said to his wife, it seems to me that the whole world is crazy, except you and me. And sometimes I have my doubt about you. That is, well, the whole world whines. I listen to it, and everybody from the presidents to popes, everybody's that number whine. And I suddenly heard my, me saying that to me, like, well, all the people, they just, good grief, all they do is whine. You know, and of course, the unsaid part was, everybody was whining but me. And everybody's just engaged in useless criticism. Uh-oh, why'd you just call that? But then if you're an irreversible whiner, and asleep, you go, well, wait a minute, that was not useless criticism. That was valid. I repeat, and I knew this for a fact before, a long time before it really had much effect on me. I'm telling you, if you're whining in your head, and it is so common 
you, you'll say, yeah, I know it. I know it. I've known that for years. I say you don't. You do not know the extent, literally, the extent, the time spent in whining, criticizing, that's going on in your thoughts. And I don't have to be a mind reader. As I said, look at history. I've read several books and magazines. Now listen to people talk, and I'm telling you, it is right there. The history of it is laid out before you, that there's hardly a sentence that has ever been written, or a sentence that anyone ever said that someone else remembered and wrote down, that I look at, read, and it's a criticism of life. And I know for a fact, it's just as plain as hell, and those of you that's been in that anomalistic state of being awake or enlightened, you know damn well. It's not open to debate. It's not a theory, and there's no way you can talk to people or convince people. But if you're criticizing, well, put it this way, when you're in that state, you don't have, criticism doesn't exist. And the people I've, what little I've talked to, some of you that wanted to talk to me when you had the experience the first time, it's always the same. It's just about the best you can say was you just grin from ear to ear because you just understood that everything's just right. You hate to say that, but that's about all you can say. It's like, I never realized it, but... And when you had the experience, you could have been sitting... I assume you get the point. You could be about to go undergo operation for an operation for a potentially terminal illness. You could... It doesn't matter. The circumstances do not matter if your mind has that experience, if your mind achieves a fuller awakening of consciousness, you'll under, you understand it all, that everybody is whining and complaining and it serves a purpose, but what they, the purpose they think it serves, the basis upon which they complain and criticize, is totally invalid. That is, well, it's misconstrued. The mind does not see what's going on. It doesn't understand its job. And people actually believe that something's wrong with life out there. There's something wrong, since I'm a, a Jew, there's something wrong with being a Muslim. Since I'm a Democrat, there's something wrong with being a Republican. Since I believe in a free market economy, there's something wrong with people who believe in a state-directed economy. Whatever the hell it is. Well, it gets down to anyone who dis disagrees with me. There's something wrong with them. And it goes without saying you're staying a bar and you say, well, the Braves, are go they're going to tear the, they're going to take care of the Mets before this season's over. And somebody next to you go, don't you wish? But they got no business. They're crazy. There's something wrong with that person because they disagreed with my thought. Criticism makes up so much. I've worn myself out again trying to really convey it all or to hint that which I knew I can't say to you. That's why I spent another 50 minutes again and going through some theatrics. Because I always hope. Oh, I hope. <laughs> I always hope that by me continuing to harp on something for a while, even while admitting to you, so that you don't think I've beginning to get Alzheimer's, Old-timers, Alzheimer's, Roma Seltzer of the brain. That I point out to you, I go, I know I've talked about this, but I keep hoping. Did you think, all right, if you know that, and you did it again, there must be some reason. I always like to believe that most of you, in a lucite moment, suspect that, try and consider because you know damn well that all of you thought you had a full understanding that, yeah, most of what people talk about, you know, ordinary people, oh, hell, a lot of what they talk about, they're just whining, complaining for no reason. Well, that's a lot worse than that. That's a lot better than that. I didn't begin to cover it. And then what you see out there is look inside of you. But the problem, as I said, it is such a part of the way the... Obviously, it's the, mind, it's the way the mind, our thinking, is organized, the way life is organized, it makes up so much of it, it's hard to even get, quote, a critical view of what I'm saying. That is, for, the, for you to be able to go, well, you're right. 
Yeah, it'd be like a fish, so to speak, and you you stuck your head or you could send down a message audibly to a fish down in the water and say, do you understand that you're in water? And the fish goes, no. You go, well, look around. It looks around. Of course, it's never been out of water, so it doesn't know what it means. You go, well, it's some wet stuff. In fact, it's primarily, if I remember my high school algebra, I think it's primarily some hydrogen and some oxygen in a certain the fish sends word, let's say you got a tube and you're talking to a fish down the water. And the fish says, I don't see a damn thing. You go, well, it's everywhere. Just look, it's everywhere. And the fish looks all around and says, I'm telling you, I don't see a damn thing. That is sort of the position of the mind trying to see that what it does continually, that almost, I'm saying a large, large part of what it does is criticism. Under all kinds of guys, yeah, once you see it, you see it. You can't fool yourself. And then you'd probably wonder why I underestimate it by even hinting 90%. What better way to stay awake? What better way to remind yourself of how common, how routine, how pedestrian, how dense, how slow-witted, how much in the arms of Morpheus, the routine. Do you live? I don't know how anybody can never get a full head-on glimpse of this and never have any faith in anything that goes on in their head. Well, except for the, you know, the little stuff that we do on our own. The rest of it. And so you don't even notice because everyone's when you think that you're, when you accept the thoughts in your head as being the reflection of you, the statement of you, then look how much is tied up into it. If your statements about what's wrong with the world, that if we had more religious tolerance, you know, I can't believe in the year 2000 that we have people, civilized people, people with jobs, people with families, that they're shooting each other, throwing bombs in each other's houses because of religion. I, it's beyond me. Because you're asleep. You don't even hear what you're saying. Because it seems so justified. You don't even stop and think about it. And of course, verbally, there's no way I can attack that. I can't say, well, nah, it's, it's good that people kill each other. You know, especially over religion. Especially over ideas. Now, I don't really approve much of people killing each other like when one guy steps on another guy's foot or, you know, hits his car. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if somebody disagrees with your idea, your political idea, your religious idea, yeah, shit, yeah, that's good. That's good for everybody. Shoot him. Cut him. Do something. What can you say? You can't say anything. All you can do is see. I'm the one who says it for you. All right, let's all squint up our eyes, kind of do your nose, and really think about, you know, damn, that's something. God, that could be true. I believe he's right. Mm. I got ooh, I got to watch that. Ooh, I'm probably worse at that than even he was imagining. Ooh. What the hell are you doing? That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.